views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. Now here's your host, Dr. Pat. I'm Dr. Pat, and we are so thrilled to be all of you, all of you out there. We're so thrilled to be continuing the story. And what is the story? The story is really uncovering a conversation that has to do with making sure that we're providing information that we we are not giving up. We're not giving up the advocacy to really make sure that we understand what Lyme disease is and what it isn't. And then what can we do? What can we do, all of us, to get involved and to help, help create change? change for the better. For those of you that know me, you know I've been talking about this since 2003. And talking about it from a point of view where back in 2003, definitely in the state of Washington that I lived in and still in that state, people were not even aware of the tip of the iceberg around the conversation of Lyme disease. As a matter of fact, if you go to very, 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 very top, 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 right at the top, the top, not even the tip, beyond the tip, the point, the point of the iceberg, that is the conversation that was existing about Lyme disease. Well, thanks today to my very special guest and many others, thanks today, we are having a conversation that, wait a minute, wait a minute, Susan Green is not going to talk about the whole iceberg because none of us can at the moment. We are barely scratching the surface. We're still at the tip of the iceberg. But I will tell you this, that there isn't a single one of us that has had the experience of this that has been in the core of what this is like to be diagnosed, misdiagnosed, no diagnosed, live in a state that says Lyme disease doesn't live here. We are going to help change the landscape of this. My very special guest today, I'm thrilled to have her on the show. She and I have talked uh, several times over the past number of years passionately about what it is we are going to take on next, what our journey is about. Uh, She has been engaged in the practice of law since 1983. You can pretty much count the radio shows, the appearances, the articles that have been featuring her, her story, and what her world is about. But I will tell you this, when I think about chutzpah, when I think about the power of perseverance, when I think about people that are advocates and out in the world to help us shine a light on this epidemic, it is Susan Green that comes to the forefront for me. And there are many reasons what we'll, today that we'll explore why. 
We're going to find out from her what is up, what she's looking at, what has been her experience, and what can we all be more mindful of. So if you have heard that the recent CDC number was revised from 30,000 to 300,000, that is not even the tip of the iceberg. But today, fasten your seatbelt. We're talking about ticked off. Botched Lyme disease treatments turned Susan Green from angry patient to tireless advocate. And you all that have been on the other end of this, we know what a botched Lyme disease treatment, Lyme disease test, misdiagnosis is all about. Susan, it is great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to speak with you again. You know, um, I want to just kind of, you know, talk a little bit about this because this is your story. You know, this is this is why many of us have shown up today, you know, to look at what our journey's been like, where we were, where we're going. And I wasn't kidding when I said back in 2003, in many, many places, we were not even at the tip of the iceberg. We were like maybe at the point. And I wanted to talk with you about this journey, about this idea and this this thing that ticked you off mostly in your journey? Well, I think if I had to pick the thing that was, that <laughs> was most confounding was we all know that early detection is key to prevention of Lyme disease. If you find a tick attached and you're fortunate enough to get treatment right away, you've got a pretty reasonable chance that you're going to make a full recovery. Not everybody, but most people will do very well. Unfortunately, these ticks are tiny, tiny, tiny. And the test, the commercial test for Lyme disease, is will, will yield a false negative over 60% of the time. So in other words, if you go to your doctor and you say, I think I've got Lyme disease or I have this rash, and by the way, just to dispel another myth, you don't have to get a bullseye rash. A lot of people think you do, but that happens in probably less than 50 percent of the, t of the cases. And oftentimes, the rash can be more diffuse. and can look more like a spider bite. I hear that all the time. People will tell me, my doctor said I got a spider bite. But in fact, it's a Lyme rash. But assuming you don't have a rash at all, which I did not, okay, you, when you go and you get that test and your doctor calls you up and says, I have great news, you don't have Lyme disease, you breathe that sigh of relief and you think to yourself, dodge that bullet. And you're, you go on about your business. Don't think about it anymore. Well, the fact of the matter is that happened to me four times. And each time that I was tested, I was told I didn't have it when, in fact, I did. I would probably go two decades untreated. And my, the progression of my disease was slow, although in later years when I um, acquired three additional bites, that was when each mm -hmm. time the uh, symptoms would pick up and become more and more disabling. Uh, finally, I went to a doctor, and I had been told 11 days earlier I had a Lyme test and it was negative. And, you know, now they were diagnosing me with every crazy lady disease that you can come right. up with. You know, I was menopausal. I was bipolar. I was, I was anything that they could think of. And I was bipolar because I was 23 hours a day. I was up on the computer trying to figure out what the doctors didn't know, trying to figure out why I was so darn sick, and nobody could tell me what it was. So they called that bipolar. But... What wound up happening is I wound up in a doctor's office one day. Now, at this point in time, I had lost my memory completely. All my hair had fallen out. 
I had a seizure in the middle of the trial. I lost my ability to speak. I couldn't retrieve words. I lost use of both my hands. I couldn't control my limbs at all, couldn't keyboard, couldn't write. I'd get to the bottom of my driveway. I couldn't remember what was left and what was right, so I would sit in my driveway crying, and I would have blackouts during the day so that my normal, normal hour preparation to go out of the house, I would get up at 7 in the morning, get in the shower, walk outside, and it would be dark, and I would have no ability to tell you what had happened during that day. And so at this point, I was pretty much I was hysterical, and everybody kept telling me it's stress, it's menopause, it's this, it's that. I knew I was sick. I knew it. And I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. And, you know, I'm an attorney, and I've handled malpractice cases many, mm-hmm. many over the years. I can speak, many speak. I've represented doctors in defending their licenses. I know how to communicate with, with the medical person. And yet I could not get through to them to save my life. And so on one day in particular, I marched into this doctor's office, and he was an infectious disease doctor. And I started crying. And I said, I'm sick. I'm so sick. And I said, please, you have to help me. I said, I think I have Lyme disease. Mm. And I said, I need antibiotics. And he said to me, well, you don't have Lyme disease. And he said, but you're so hysterical and you're begging for antibiotics. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a course of antibiotics. But before I do that, I'm going to give you another blood test just to give you peace of mind so you know you don't have this disease. And I said, Fine. Take all the blood you like. Just give me the <laughs> antibiotics. And so he did draw blood, and I started the antibiotics, and I called him the next day, and I said, you know, doctor, I said, I think I need a different antibiotic because these medic- this medication is making me so sick. Mm. And he said, wow. He said, you know, when you have Lyme disease, he says the introduction of antibiotics into your bloodstream can cause die-off that's toxic to the human host. He said, that's very peculiar that you would have that reaction. He says, let's wait for the test. And so sure enough, I'll never forget as long as I live. Mm -hmm. 30 a.m. on a Wednesday morning, I got a phone call from the doctor and he said, son of a gun, you're off the charts. And I got out of bed and started dancing around the bedroom. I was dancing and singing, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. I was so happy. Um, Now I knew what it was, you know, So, so now it would be simple. I could get better. Except only later would I learn that it was, you know, more of a death sentence, if you will, than it was, you know, a diagnosis. And uh, so that began my journey. Well, you know, and this is really an important conversation to have about this, Susan, and thank you so much for sharing that, because, you know, now we're in situations where, you know, if you live in certain parts of the country and you have things like this going on, the doctor says, well, let's get a Lyme test. But now there is a question mark of, okay, which Lyme test do you get? And this is now the next layer. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, what you said was so important. See, you had the Medi speak down. The average person does not. And I tell you, I got a friend that just went through this and doesn't even know how to ask for a different test. We're going to take a short break and we come back. You know, what happens when you're jumping up and down in glee for getting a positive diagnosis? What then are your next steps? How has the world changed? in those next steps. Lots more, lots more. Today's show, all about what many of us, many of us experience, thanks to Susan Green, we're making some changes ticked off. Botch Lyme disease treatments, 
turned my guest, Susan Green, from angry patient to tireless advocate. And I love that word, tireless. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. to the hit show Masters Chambers with your trusted friend, Connie Fife. Mondays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Each week, Connie will connect you with the best of the best thought leaders from around the globe to share their strategies and best practices. Getting better together. To book Connie, visit ConnieFifeSpeaks.com. Transformation Talk Radio is dedicated to the education and awareness of Lyme disease. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lyme Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Pat, joined here by Dr. Nusheen Darvish. Dr. Pat Basili and Dr. Nusheen Darvish will be bringing the most innovative, groundbreaking information, research, treatment innovations, and stories from those it affects every day. I'm so excited to be talking about this. We have so much to share. Dr. Darvish and I are planning to do is connect the dots. People suffering with all sorts of chronic disease it's time. It is time for them to transform. Tune into Lime Talk Radio and help keep our mission strong. For the loyal listeners out there that have been listening to this incredible show on Lyme disease, we are not going to let you down. We're going to come through stronger and enrich the platform for Lyme disease awareness through Lyme Talk Radio. The message will continue. The conversations will become stronger and the healing epic. The doctor is in. Tune in to the hit show, The Psychic Love Doctor, with host Deborah Lee. Deborah's life-affirming, highly perceptive reading method has taught Deborah how to zero in on specific problems with relationships, career pursuits, and current roadblocks to success and happiness. This inspiring show will help you never feel helpless in life or love ever again. Join Deborah Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's so great to be connecting with all of you. And many of you have emailed me and said, oh, man, you're going to do Lime Talk Radio again. I said, yeah, we are. Uh, we've been doing the, the Lime Talk Radio through the Dr. Pat show. And of course, we are not going to let the conversation die down. It's not the time to do that. Uh, while many of us have seen some changes made, thanks to thanks to people like Susan Green. And, you know, the word that comes up for me is one of the things that I've said, and that is, you know, from angry patient to tireless advocate, because if you are going to stand for a new level of understanding, awareness and change around Lyme disease, tireless is probably an understatement. Susan, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us today. Happy to do it. 
you know, I, I want to get back to what you said was, man, yeah, because you and I had the same reaction, right? We're like, finally, yes, that's it. Huh. But I don't know what we were so happy about. I think we were happy about finally having something that we can count on and then go in a direction. But what happens next is really astonishing for folks, isn't it? You know, well, once you get that, wow, it's not like instantaneously all is going to be well. Well, I was really happy because I was so tired of people telling me I was crazy and yeah. people coming up with all these imaginary, I call them the eye roll diseases. The eye roll diseases are the <laughs> diseases you walk in and you say to your doctor, I have, and you tell them what, you know, what illness you have, and the doctor, without you looking, rolls their eyes. is like, oh, not one of those. And so, you know, I finally went, fell out of it. Well, actually, some doctors still roll their <laughs> eyes at Lyme, but at least there was now a there was a there was a test that affirmed that I was in fact sick and this particular doctor god bless his little heart he was a member of the IDSA and he said to me he leaned across the desk and he whispered and I, I had no idea what the IDSA or I like I, I didn't know any of that at the time he handed me a barrel of antibiotics and he said to me he whispered you're a very sick woman and he said you don't understand. He says, I belong to a society that if they knew I was giving you more than 28 days worth of antibiotics, he said, I would get drummed out of my own society. He says, I can't treat you anymore. Take these antibiotics and good luck. And I was like, what, what is he talking about? You know, I, had, I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that a doctor belonged to a society that would, you know, would manage my care. But it was okay. I got my antibiotics, and so off I went. And I went on a merry-go-round. Of, you know, every, I went to where everybody goes. I went to the great universe of, you know, Internet. And, you know, I started reading, oh, this doctor's the best, and this doctor's the best, and, oh, I went to see many of them. <laughs> and I was very fortunate. I was fortunate that because I come from a medical family, all my sibs are doctors, because I, you know, work with medical experts uh, in malpractice cases and the like, and because I've defended doctors, um, they were very good at locating for me the top doctors in the industry. And at the time that I got there, I could barely form sentences. My yeah. brain was so impacted by the, the initial um, seizure and assault that I said to them the following. I said, fix my brain. I need my brain back. And I, I said, if you fix my brain, I'm going to get this thing straightened out. I promise. And, you know, for some reason they believed me. But all I know is I started getting calls from a lot of LLMDs, and they said, we want to help. And, you know, we look forward to your, your assistance. And I started representing them. I started defending their licenses. But they first put in a lot of work with me. And I wound up over, I got another bite after I first got well. So I wound up doing about 20 months of IV altogether and um, years of orals. And in addition to that, of course, I had every co-infection that you, that you can think of on the East Coast. I had Babesia, Bartonella, Lichiosis. And so each of those required separate treatment. And, you know, as much as we beat the drum and as much as we scream and holler about raising education and awareness about Lyme disease, there's a whole nother level of co-infections and parasites yeah. that aren't even making the map yet. And yeah. recently, uh, um, one of my, somebody who consulted me, was, she clearly had all the symptoms of um, Babesia. 
and she lived in a Lyme endemic area where recently um, Ahmed Kalani had, of Klonjin Labs had run a tick drag and had tested the ticks. And don't you know that although many of the ticks were, infest, were infected with Lyme disease, actually more of them had Babesia. And yeah. I said to this woman, I said, you must go to a doctor. You must be tested for Lyme. You must be tested for Babesia. So in a very, um, very upscale area, she went to three different doctors, and she said, I need to be tested for Babesia. And all three of one said they had no idea what it was. And two told her that it was a third world country disease and that we didn't have it here. And even if we did, they wouldn't know how to treat it. You know, about a year or two ago, the Red Cross came out and they issued an alert. And they said the blood banks are contaminated with Babesia because they weren't screening for Babesia and Babesia is also a crisis. And so for doctors in the United States to not know that we guess we have Babesia, and in fact it's a big problem, and not to know how to test for it or treat it, is it's just alarming and it's so dismaying. Um, yeah. So it was a long journey back. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's really interesting about it but, you know, because there are some misconceptions. Let's talk about a few because I believe it or not, you, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I get a little bit emotional sometimes around this. And I and I was about two, two months ago this summer. It was about two months ago. And we're standing outside and, you know, people are looking at it and, you know, they're, what, kids are rolling around in the grass and everything's OK. And the dog's got a big tick. And I watched the, 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 the husband, you know, get the tick, the big fat. Listen, this is what's going to this is a killer for me. Get the big fat tick that was all blown up, pull it off and say, oh, I got the tick, honey. Maybe we should check for Lyme disease. And I and I looked at him and I said, well, wait a minute, that big fat tick. And that's what you're thinking right there with that. And so you're right. I mean, it's kind of like we do beat the drum around the awareness and education. But at the same time, don't you think, Susan, we're in a place now where we we have to get to the healing, right? That's what I hear you talking about. We got to get to a place of understanding that's going to promote healing as well. Um, I think that there is a tremendous amount of research being done. Well, not a tremendous amount. As compared to other diseases, yeah. less serious diseases, yeah. not a tremendous amount of research, but there is research finally being done. And, you know, every day we read new studies and new possibilities and everybody has a test and everybody has a new antibiotic. And, you know, you pray for the best and you prepare for the worst. But mm -hmm. you started to talk about myths, so I'd like mm -hmm. to address yeah. some of the myths, okay? Yeah. One of the misconceptions, common misconceptions, is that this is a northeast disease. And you sort of, yeah. you made that reference earlier. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not so. There is Lyme disease in every state in this country and in many other countries as well. And you often will hear, I want, the reason why the people who live in states outside of the Northeast have such a difficult time finding a doctor to test them, finding a doctor to even consider a Lyme diagnosis is because the numbers, according to the CDC, in reported cases are much lower in these other areas, if at all. And what I would tell you is that the reporting requirements in each state varies from state to state. My favorite example, of course, is North Carolina. I'm sorry, I, I tend to beat North Carolina to death, but only because um, 
the head of the health department, his name was Ingall, he used to have a rule, and the rule was that in order to report a positive test to the health department, you had to have a bullseye rash, a CDC-positive test, and you had to have been out of the state within 60 days because they had ticks, but their ticks were vegan. They were, they, these were gourmet ticks, and they didn't bite people. Okay? Yeah. So all those years that people were coming with positive tests and bullseye rashes, those, those cases were never reported because they hadn't traveled. And so the numbers are skewed. And not only that, but the doctors in those areas, because they're drinking that Kool-Aid, they don't even consider it as a diagnosis, and they don't treat it. They don't test for it. And the patients are not getting information because they think they live in an area that's not Lyme endemic, so they don't know to go in and ask for a Lyme test. And I will tell you that Florida, for instance, you have a terrible time finding a Lyme doctor down there. And the medical board said the, the few doctors that did practice the Lyme, uh, treatment of Lyme, one of them was bought out and the other one uh, had a problem with the medical board. And they were both told they can't practice uh, medicine that involves Lyme disease anymore. So it's a big, big problem. And you cannot trust the statistics because the reporting requirements vary from state to state. Just because you live in a state that's not Lyme endemic, do not believe that Lyme doesn't exist in your state because I guarantee you I can find somebody that, that has it and got it in your state. Well, and, go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, what we're talking about here, too, is, you know, even getting a sense of what are the questions that I actually need to ask. That's why we're doing this show today, and that's why you're doing what you do, right? You know, to make sure, because, you know, even when you go to a doctor, and I mean, my experience was my doctor sent me to the CDC who wasn't going to run the test anyway. But the minute I said it was from New Jersey, I got the test done. And then when, when the test results came in, the answer was, no, you don't have it. And so I said, you know, can I have a copy of my test? And so my naturopath had to explain the results to me. But it was a black and white. Yes, you have it or no, you don't. And it, this is a disease that's not quite that black and white, is it? Well, actually, the... The diagnosis of Lyme disease is a clinical diagnosis. The test for Lyme disease is woefully inadequate. So why is that? Well, in order to get a test that's considered positive, CDC positive, you have to have a positive IG, um, IgG, IgM, which is the antibody test, and you have to have a positive Western blot. So without getting too complicated, mm -hmm. one thing that, you sh that the, your listeners should know is the IgG-IgM test, in order to develop antibodies to anything, it takes several weeks. So the first line of defense is going to be the IgM antibodies. And then about six to eight weeks later, the IgG antibodies develop. So during that initial eight weeks, you may not have enough antibodies in order to test positive for that test. And as if that wasn't challenging enough, recently there's been suggestion that you, the doctor should give the antibody test first, wait for that to be positive, and if that's not positive, then they shouldn't go, on, go forward with the Western blot. Well, remember, the test is over 60% false negative anyhow, and why is that? Well, there are over 100 species of this bacteria, and the assay that's used for testing doesn't include all of the different species of the bacteria. So 
you're not necessarily going to, your form of of Lyme won't necessarily test positive. And furthermore, like I said, your your uh, antibodies may not have had a chance to develop, okay? Um, additionally, there's a recent study out of John Hopkins Hospital. Um, it's the if you go on the Lyme MD website and you go to the slice study, there are newsletters in the corner of that website. You can read. They formed a biorepository down at John Hopkins Hospital, and they took people who had bullseye rashes, prima facie case, an EM rash of Lyme disease, and they enrolled them in a study. And they went on to test every single fluid in those patients' body. They then, and of those people who were tested, over 60% tested negative when they were admitted to the program. Six to eight weeks later, they were retested, and at that time, many of them converted zero-positive. However, in later studies, what Dr. Alcott, John Alcott, learned was that men and women's IgG, IgM, their their, um, immune systems and antibodies, work differently. And some of the women, some of the men that were enrolled in the program never tested positive. And so if you know that and you know that the test is, is wildly in, inaccurate, you know, you really, doctors really need to be looking at the clinical symptoms and diagnosing based upon clinical observations. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you out there, it is really important that many, many, many of you that are, are, are looking for answers, you know, get a sense of, again, and I'm just going to make sure you're going to have that website, go to LymeMD.org and you'll be able to read about this, you know, and take a look at what the research is that's going on there. And that has been a journey for Dr. Alcott alone to just get to this place where Susan and I are even actually able to talk about it. We're going to take a short break and we come back. We're going to talk about, you know, what are some of the things that are changing the landscape of, of, of our rights around being able to ask for the test we want and then understand it. Passionate is an understatement for Susan. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Are you ready for a radical shift in your way of being? Are you seeking a more deeply connected and fulfilling life? Awakened Living Radio is a show dedicated to helping you embrace a life filled with profound peace, connection, and happiness. TJ Woodward. 
Woodward is passionate about helping you find your clarity, balance, and purpose. Join co-host TJ Woodward and Dr. Pat Basili on the first Monday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for Awakened Living Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. On the cutting edge of the new mainstream, Christine Upchurch is passionate about bringing together science, psychology, and spirituality in a way that can be applied to our everyday lives for true transformation. The Christine Upchurch Show, stellar conversations to illuminate your journey, engages some of the most outstanding visionaries on the planet in lively dialogue to inspire you to become that bright light you're meant to be. Join Christine every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on KKNW, AM 1150, and Transformation Time. Radio. Sky Siegel co-hosts one of today's most popular psychic shows, Angels and Answers, with Artie Hoffman as she communicates healing messages from the spirit world. These messages can be astounding, enlightening, and life-changing. Born with the God-given talent of inner guidance and the amazing ability to heal, Sky has healed thousands of people. Schedule a reading with Sky now. Call 908-500-1474 and visit skyofangels.com. to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, remove your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Speaker, teacher, channel, clairvoyant, Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst who channels a powerful energy from source to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy or from illness into health. Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. Tune in each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 Eastern Time on Transformation Talk Radio to Limelight Radio with Katina Macris. This is an inspirational, cutting-edge radio show educating worldwide listeners on a diversity of Lyme disease-related topics. Each week, Katina will interview some of the world's leaders in health, wellness, spirituality, and human potential. For more information, visit LimeLightRadio.com. Brian, thank you so much for that song. Ah, uh, no problem, Doc. Thank you. Wow. Um, for those of you out there, if you're just tuning in, you know, I want to welcome you to Lime Talk Radio. And for many of you that have been listening to me go on and on about it for a bunch of years, it's great to be connecting with you guys again. Susan Green is joining us here today. Um, and, you know, when I hear a song like that, I'll tell you, it's just, it's hard for me to even speak. I get so choked up uh, because the journey, what the journey is like for folks is not knowing where we're going, not knowing what the next step is. 
you know, not feeling like you're in a place where folks can actually hear what you have to say. And Susan Green is someone that knows a lot about this. Um, Susan, you know, how can people find out more about you? Um, well, it, you know, for in terms of just my um, my journey, there was a Baltimore Magazine did an article in September of 2014 called "Ticked Off." It's a story. It's the article on my story. Um, but I also I am legislative counsel to NatCapLime.org, which is a wonderful organization. They do amazing things and. Uh, I work closely with them. In fact, they were the organization that uh, assisted me in getting the Virginia bill passed, um, the Informed Informed Patient Disclosure Act. Um, And we do a lot of different projects, really amazing projects. And then Monty Skull, who's the executive director, who I always call Miss Thelma to my Louise, (laughs) Monty um, came up with a vision, and her vision was one of the things that's so difficult for the Lyme community is, is we're a fractured community. There's a lot of leaders, but unfortunately, there's not a, a whole lot of discourse between them, and there's a lot of disagreement between them. So what Monty envisioned was she wanted to form a an organization that would be an umbrella type of organization, almost like a trade association, where advocates from across the country, actually across the world, because we do also have international uh, groups that are members, where they could come, they could exchange ideas, they could ask for support for their projects. And in addition to that, it would be an exchange of information. So if there were uh, legislative bills that were pending, uh, we have a legislative committee that could review those those bills. We could help explain them in layman's terms to patients because, you know, patients aren't supposed to understand all that legal mumbo-jumbo. And I have to tell you, sometimes the bills are pretty complex, and it would be very difficult for a person who is very sick to read those bills. And so we work at trying to break it down and trying to present to the community issues and, and you know, the benefits and the, the potential risks. And we uh, had an inaugural, but at any rate, she formed, uh, I went out and I did a fundraiser and we raised the money, and we formed what's called PALTADS. Partners Against Lyme and Tick-Associated Diseases, and Monty's the executive director. Lisa Tory is the president. I'm vice president, and we um, we've got some great people. I mean, really great people from around the country who are on the board of directors, and it's really it's a, it's a uh, daunting effort. It's a lot of work, but it's really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so we've already gotten you know, Nat Cap and I got uh, my bill passed in Virginia, which requires doctors, when they give a Lyme test, they now have to hand out a patient information disclosure sheet, which advises the patient that the test is inaccurate and that if they test negative, uh, it does not mean they don't have Lyme disease. If their symptoms persist, return and get medical care or further testing. And for us, it was probably, and I've been a lawyer a long time and I've had some yeah. pretty big cases, but it was the hardest battle I ever fought. And when we won that, it it felt amazing. And even had we lost that battle, I have to tell you that one of the greatest things, one of the most rewarding things about that fight was that the media coverage was so intense because it was so it, the uh, it was so such a hard battle mm-hmm. that I would dare to say there's nobody in Virginia now that doesn't know that the test is inaccurate. So just the education and awareness piece 
was wonderful. And I think it's gone on to be passed in four additional states. So um, that's a great thing because there's yeah. so many people that just don't know when their doctor tells them you don't have Lyme. They just don't know that they very well might. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is really part of the conversation that we had during the break a little bit is that kind of, it's kind of interesting as I'm listening to you and you say, and now we've got it passed in four states and I'm thinking, wow, in four states, what's going on in the other states? <laughs> prepare yourselves. I'm, I know. Pre- prepare yourselves. We're on the way. You never know. I mean, we have we have a lot of ideas, and uh, we have a lot of uh, projects. And um, but those states really, it, it should be. I th- I definitely think every state should know this. I think it's just. I mean, back in the day when you know HIV first became yeah. uh, a problem, yep. the actual uh, test result stated on there. But it was, it was a very similar test. It was an antibody test. And it said that the test, you know, you, that you should repeat the test. And I don't understand why this information isn't provided to the public. I, for me, it's malpractice not to tell a patient that I just gave you a bum test and don't right. rely on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you think about the statement, do no harm. And and if we really think about that statement in this one particular way, then what you know, you it really start to scratch your head. And I think you said this. We all start to scratch our head, and you have to wonder, you know, what really is the issue by not having this information available, by not being too advised. You know, do you know, Susan, where where does the resistance come from? Well, I got to tell you. It gets right. even more more frightening than what than what we just spoke about because okay. two things have happened that have my hair on fire. Okay. Number one, number one, this year a letter was uh, excuse me, Medscape published an article, and as I recall the and I'm paraphrasing, but the article was sent to all the physicians and it said we are over testing for Lyme disease in the United States because only 12 percent of those tests are coming up positive. We're over testing. Well, and that came from a person who works for the CDC. I, I can't even begin to tell you how flabbergasted I was because we just pop, we just um, educated a whole population of physicians all across the country with the concept, with the notion we're over-testing. Now, how does that square with the fact that the CDC goes from 30,000 to 300,000 in the narrow area where reporting is, is um, done with some frequency? Right. Obviously, it's a growing problem. It's, I mean, in my opinion, it's a pandemic. So... You know, how do they come off saying 12%? Well, this is how they go about This is how they do it. They forget to mention that over 60% of the time, the test is going to be a false negative. So right. if you add 60 plus to 12%, you got 72%. But nobody right. bothers to mention the fact that the tests are false negatives. And if that's not bad enough, there's an organization out there, and I can't think of the name. I wish I had looked it up before I um, got on, on the show today. But in Anne Arundel County, Maryland, in medical offices, there are, uh, you know, the scrolling messages in some of yeah. these doctor's offices. And those doctor's offices, the message is, need a Lyme test? Probably not. Okay, now this is what, this is the message that's being flashed to people in the waiting room. I can't even begin to tell you how outraged I am because, the, the you know, as I indicated, people, when they go to their doctors, there's, we were a generation raised upon the notion that doctors were gods. 
okay? You took your medical problems to the doctor, and they figured out what was wrong with you. Nobody thought, like we think today, which is you better be proactive in your care because if you leave it up to the doctor, hmm. But at any rate, some doctors are great. I don't mean to to suggest that, you know, there aren't doctors out there that are amazing, but there's plenty of them that just don't know. And so to have this flashing at an audience of patients about to go into their doctors, well, if you're a person who's not really aggressive and who's kind of timid and who believes that the doctor's got, and you see that message up there, need a Lyme test, probably not, aren't you going to be intimidated? Aren't you going to feel that maybe I shouldn't ask for one because, after all, that sign's up there for a reason? And there's a movement in this country to cut down on testing, I believe that that movement comes from the insurance industry because save costs, cut down on testing. I can't, I can't say that with any degree of certainty. So, you know, I could be proven wrong on that. But whoever's doing it, it is a disservice to the public, number one. Number two, to tell a person they may not need a Lyme test when you have not taken a history, you've not done an examination. To me, it's the practice of medicine and it's malpractice. Yeah, you know, this is really the conversation that is so needed and meant to happen because you're right. And, you know, from a psychology point of view, let me just point this out to to people listening, is that's called subliminal messaging. That's what that's called. And we know that that is actually illegal in the world of advertising. But yet think about it. You know, you're sitting in a doctor's office, getting ready to go into the doctor and whether or not you were thinking you were going to get the Lyme test or not. Now you've got a subliminal message that is really literally rewiring your mind to not even contemplate the idea of asking for it. I mean, you know, for the folks that put that together, that is kind of a brilliant way to discourage people. You think, Susan? Well, I think it's outrageous because I think it is. it's doing, it's it's intimidating the the patient population. It's preventing them from raising what might be really valid information or feedback about the you know the um, the state of their their health condition. It's it's outrageous on so on every level. Who has the right to tell a patient waiting in a waiting room you shouldn't ask for this? It's intimidating. Well, and, you know, it's hard enough to go to a doctor anyway. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I mean, how many people do you know that by the time you get to the doctor's office, even when you really, even when you go in there and you know you got something seriously wrong with you, have the, the chutzpah to get in front of the doctor and say, yeah, you know, I want you to do this. Now, let me tell you, I want this particular Lyme test. No, you don't need that test. But yes, I want that test. I mean, it becomes a debate with your doctor. I remember walking out of my doctor's office and as he was walking out, I said, thank you, God. And he turned around and said, you're welcome. And, you know, I I mean, not that all doctors are like this. That's not the case. I don't know that we've learned how to empower ourselves to have the courage to ask the tough questions. Sometimes, Susan, don't we have to bring others with us to the conversation? I definitely think if you're a patient and you're having difficulty, bring somebody with you who's savvy and who's knowledgeable and don't get argumentative and don't, I had had the, the cutest 
woman. She's so sweet. She contacted me about her son, and he's sick, and she's adorable. And I said to her, she, she really didn't know anything about Lyme, and she basically thought that maybe her son's problems were just immunological. And I said to her, come see me, and I gave her a copy of The Lyme Disease Solution, which is a book by Dr. Kenneth Singleton, which I refer to as my Lyme Bible. Because for a person who's just starting out, it's in layman's terms, it helps you identify, you know, the different diseases and the different antibiotics treatments, symptoms. It's, it's just, it's really helpful, I think. And so I gave it to her and she devoured it. She was awesome. And I checked back with her and I said, did you read it? And she said, I did, I did. She goes, now I know everything. She goes, and like my son's whole story's in that book. I couldn't believe it. I, everything I read, I, I went, oh my God, that's my son, that's my son, that's my son. She goes, now I know exactly what I'm doing. She goes, and when I see that Lyme literate doctor next week, she says, I'm going to tell him, blah, blah, blah. I, oh, no, 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 no. I said, listen, maybe you should let me go with you. I said, you don't want to go in there and tell your Lyme doctor anything about what they should be doing for treatment. I said, I'm going to go with you. She goes, for support? I said, no, to gag you, to keep you from telling the doctor what to do. Um, so you don't want to take them on. You don't want to be angry. You don't want to be hollering. You know, And some doctors are just never going to learn. Some doctors are never going to embrace your disease or understand it. Know the ones that will and move on, <laughs> move on. Don't get into these big battles with some of these doctors because you won't win. And you're wasting your your health and your energy on it. Well, can you uh, tell us a little bit? Because uh, I want to I want to make sure that we continue this a little bit, you know, for folks to know what they can do. And I think you mentioned a couple of really important things. Um, you know, there is a level of uh, of anger and resentment, you know, that happens when you know you're not feeling well. And I don't know about you, but when I am not feeling well, I am not the best spokesperson for myself. Um, and, you know, you're entering into a conversation. You don't even know what the questions are. But you really said it. I mean, you know, the, the Lyme disease solution, you're right. It lays it out in a way, uh, by Dr. Singleton, lays it out in a way that people can have enough information and knowledge to know the right questions. Because isn't that really one of the key things to do is to know the questions. Absolutely. You want to know the questions. You want to know the co-infections. And, you know, the people, the doctors who are not Lyme literate, who really, you know, are kind of um, cleaving to, you know, 28 days are cured and, the, you know, the old party mm -hmm. line. Uh, mm -hmm. They may not want to hear what you have to say. And again, you know, I don't know what it is about this disease that makes it, you know, so politically polarizing. I don't know why this disease is so bastardized, but it is. And so when you try to talk to these people and, you know, I, I'll give you an example. When we were doing the Virginia bill, mm -hmm. um, every time we went in to see a, a senator or a delegate, when we would walk out of the office, Following us in there would be all these doctors in lab coats, okay? And they would try to undo everything we did. They followed us all over the building. So one day when I was testifying before the Senate, they, they had uh, medical students lined up in lab coats. And these were young people. These were people that were just getting out of school, you know? So I, I approached them and I said, excuse me. I said, may I ask you a favor? I said, could I just have five minutes of your time when you're, you know, when we're done here today? I said, I just, you know, would like to share some things with you if you don't mind. And they said, no, we don't want to talk to you. And I thought mm -hmm. to myself, well, haven't you demonstrated medicine in the future? I mean, how horrifying is that? They don't even want to listen. 
Yeah. You know, and it is horrifying. I mean, it's horrifying but be beyond, you know, anything that we can even imagine. I think, you know, one of the things and first of all, let me thank you for joining me here today. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, clearly there's so much we can talk about and we're going to continue to talk about it. Um, what's on the horizon? What do you see if you could just share a couple of snippets of what you see on on the horizon uh, that folks should be aware of? I think that uh, we're making progress on uh, research that is demonstrating that there is such a thing as persister cells. Um, Dr. Zeng's study um, was really great. It's a really good study. And I think that the science is moving in the right direction. Um, I know that there, there's those who say 28 days you're cured. There's those that say if you're not cured, it's your immune system. But there's starting to be, we're starting to get evidence that those cells can persist uh, post-antibiotic treatment. That's huge. It's powerful. Um, we need, we need a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of help. We've got federal bills that are pending. People, I, I want to urge everybody. Read those bills. Yeah. Don't sign petitions or make or take positions on any bill unless you've read the whole bill. Because this, and I'm not, I'm not advocating one way or another on mm-hmm. the um, the uh, whether or not it's a good bill or a bad bill. But what mm-hmm. I am saying is, just because, and forget the federal bill, even a state bill, just because the bill says Lyme bill doesn't mean that it's a favorable line bill. So don't let yourself get hoodwinked. Get right. involved with an advocacy group, please, I urge you. Get involved. NatCap Lime is a great one. Um, there, are, there are advocacy groups all over the country. Find your local uh, Lime group or join, you know, join NatCap. And so you'll get, new, you'll get updated information as it comes out, updated studies, and you can stay involved in, on the cutting edge of mm. what's happening in you know in the in Lyme world, it's important. It's important, wow. and they'll have resources for you when you go to the doctor. They'll tell you what you can do. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan Green. Everyone, thank you, Susan. Thank you for joining me here today. And uh, again, let's uh, let folks know the best website to find out more about NatCap, if you could. Okay, uh, that would be uh, uh, Nat N A T C A P. Lime, L-Y-M-E dot org. Perfect. Um, or you can go to Paltad, P-A-L-T-A-D dot org. And uh, if anybody needs to reach me, I'm easy to find. I'm, you know, an attorney in, in Towson, Maryland. So um, it's uh, you can just go to sgreen at hardball-law.com. Perfect. Thank you, Susan. Susan Green, everybody. I'm Dr. Pat, and uh, this is Lime Talk Radio. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. For more information, visit LimeTalkRadio.com and tune in next time.